I am super excited about where we've been and what's been going on. We've been walking through the book of Acts and um, just kind of spending the last few weeks talking about what does it look like for us to show up on Sunday morning with the desire to actually encounter the living God. Um, not just to get a word, not just to get some information, not just to have something that we can tweet or a story that we can tell our friends, or not just to punch the clock and say, we did the church thing this week, but to understand that the living God is moving and working and breathing in this space every single week, and we want to encounter him. Um, we talked last week about um, the journey of Moses of saying, I don't want the promised land if I don't get you. We don't want to go forward unless we get the presence of God. And so we as a church have been praying for the power and the presence of God to operate and to move and to work in our lives and to see um, an abundance, um, kind of just declaring we don't want to go forward if we don't go with him. And, and last week we talked about this kind of um, ask that we're making of um, our prayer is for an abundance. Our prayer is that the Spirit would move and work in bigger ways than we could hope for or imagine. And, and our prayer has been, and this has kind of been the prayer of our staff team, and we're inviting kind of the whole church into this prayer, is that by the end of the year, we end the year with two months reserve in the bank. Um, so I want you to understand, we're, we're good, right? Our budget is good. We're not, we've not gone crazy spending this year. Um, Tyler has not bought the smoke machines that he wants and the laser lights. And I'm just kidding. He doesn't want those things. Uh, we've not gone crazy. We don't spend anything extravagantly. The cost for us to operate the church is about $7,000 a week. That's the cost for us um, to do what we're doing. Um, and what's crazy is the, the speed in which we're growing. Uh, and so every week we get kind of this report and it shows us like last year's attendance and this year's attendance. It's my favorite email I get every week because uh, there's a huge increase in people. Uh, and, and so with that increase in people, um, we also have an increase in cost. And so we're praying, um, be, and, and here's why we're praying this. We talked about this last week, but for you that weren't here, we really want to renovate this park out here. We really want to do something new and fresh and exciting. We want to um, do kind of a capital campaign where we raise some funds and we're able to do something amazing out here with that space out there so that we can bless the community, so that we can invite more people into our space, so that our connection and relationship with Wheeler High School will increase. All of those things are things that we want to do, but it would not be wise for us to do that when we only have two weeks reserve in the bank. Does that make sense? Uh, and so wisdom says, before we do this, we need to do this, right? Everybody with me? Uh, and so because we believe, that, uh, we believe that God is calling us to do that, um, we feel emboldened to just kind of ask for it, to say, all right, so what we need is we need about two months uh, of reserve in the bank before we start on that. So I would love for us to build that park next year. Are you with me? And anybody else excited about that? I see a couple heads nod. Yeah, I, I would love for that to happen next year. But in order for that to happen, I feel like we need to be wise and we need to make sure our reserves are in a healthy place and that we're in a healthy spot so that we can go and expand and go and do that. So we're asking, right? We're asking not a God of scarcity who's sitting around thinking, I don't have enough, but we're asking the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We're asking the God who is our provider and protector who holds the resources of the world in his hands and saying, hey, uh, Lord, would you provide uh, in the next, uh, in the next uh, month, right? Uh, between now and the beginning of the year. Um, so here's a couple of things I wanna encourage everybody in. One, um, I wanna encourage everybody, and this is a, a silly thing, 
But if you would go online and set up automatic tithing, if you tithe every week, um, it is, it's, it's important to us and it's valuable to us that, we, that it's consistent, right? And so what happens is, here's what happened last year. In the summer, our tithing just bottomed out uh, because people go on vacation, they go on trips, they go away, they do those kinds of things. And so setting up that automatic giving online is really helpful. The second thing is there's a bunch of new people in this room. Uh, and so uh, we, we, as I see those attendance numbers, we realize we've grown by over 100, 125 people every single week. And so there's a bunch of new people. And I want you new people to just pray and say, Lord, if this is going to be my church, um, am, am I called to give here? Am I called to tithe here? Um, and, and if you are, we would, we would appreciate that. It'd be a great thing. Um, and, the, and the third thing is I really believe that there's somebody in this room who can kind of write a check for the whole thing. Um, that there's somebody in this room who can say, you know what, I'll cover that cost or I'll cover half that cost or I'll cover a large portion of the $40,000 we want to raise in the next month. Um, and so if that's you and the Lord's stirring, thank you, uh, right? Uh, we love you, right? Uh, and so I really do believe that there's some people in this room who have that resources and, and God might be stirring. And so just want to encourage all of you that if you can give, give, and if you can't, Pray to the God who holds all our resources. You with me? All right, I'm not gonna talk about money anymore, but I do wanna say one more thing. We created a board out front uh, at the beginning of our series in Acts uh, that just says, I have and I need. Uh, and it's been so cool to watch how the church has responded to the needs of one another. We believe here that the church is a family. Uh, we're gonna talk about that today. Uh, and, and because the church is a family, it means that we meet each other's needs. It means that we serve one another, we love one another, meet, we meet each other exactly where we are at. Um, and so I've been really encouraged to see that the I need side of the board has always been smaller than the I have side of the, of the chart. I hope that's always the pattern of the church because we're loving each other and meeting each other's needs. I've been encouraged to see people just grab some of those post-it notes and say, I'll take care of this, I'll take care of this, I'll take care of this, I'll take care of this. Um, one of the needs that we have is, is our friend, Brother Grace, amen. Brother, raise your hand. Uh, he has been a faithful member of our church for the last year, um, has served, has loved, has cared for our church. He needs help with housing. Uh, and so he has a housing voucher, um, but he has one week to get out of his house. And so between now and Friday, he needs to find a, a, a place to stay. And so I am giving this need to the church and saying, guys, I don't know. I don't have a place in my home. I have too many children. Uh, and so I don't have a room, I don't have a space, um, but I do believe that out here among us, somebody does. Uh, and so, brother, raise your hand one more time. Um, if you know of a space, if you wanna help him find a space, if you know anything about housing vouchers in East Cobb and can help him with that, if, if, you, if you just feel like you have the gift of praying for housing and it works, uh, meet him after the service, grab him, and let's try and help him out, all right? Good? All right, sorry, that's enough housekeeping, let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you that you are present and among us, that you are moving and working and that you want to speak to us today. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word. I thank you, Lord, um, that your anointing is, is, is not something that we deserve, but it's something that you give freely. And so, Lord, we just pray what we just sang, unless you come. Uh, we're not enough unless you come. So will you meet us here today? Pray. Amen. Um, so we're in Acts chapter 13. If you got your Bibles, you can open them there. If you don't, just put your hand up and we will put a Bible in your hands. Um, we're talking about the church in Antioch here. And so 
There's been a really cool movement going on inside the church. Remember, Jesus told the church to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It took them a while to get out of Jerusalem, but once they got out of Jerusalem, they started spreading and moving and going, and they became ascending place. One of those churches that became ascending place for the early church is the church of Antioch. Um, it's one of the five patriarchal churches. Um, it's it's Barnabas' home church, right? So remember Barnabas? Barnabas, is, his name means encourager. He's the guy who brought Paul along. He's the guy who got Paul out of the cave and said to Paul, it's happening. The ministry's happening to the Gentiles. And so the church of Antioch became the sending place for missionaries to go to the Gentiles. It became a church where everybody gathered together and they said, listen, our value is to send missionaries out into the mission field. And, and the mission field that God's called us to is the Gentile world. And so we're going to send Paul. We're going to send Barnabas. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to fund. We're going to do all of these things together. And, and we're going to send these missionaries out. Uh, and, and, and they had this presence and power about them that radically transformed the early church. This is one church. And so today, I wanna to look at the beginning, just the first couple verses in Acts chapter 13, and it's really simple. Like, there's nothing really amazing in here, but it's the story of a church who works together to discern where God is leading them and then steps into the places where God is leading them, which I think is really important to us. I'm, I'm struck by a couple things. One is, is how the church works together in this and second, I'm struck by how this sounds exactly like how a family would work, right? So sometimes if we led our family the way that we lead the church, our families would be a disaster. Are you with me? Right? If, I, if, I had, if I like once a week said to my kids, hey, we're gonna gather in the living room, I've set up pews, I've invited Tyler over, he's gonna sing some songs, and we're gonna, I'm gonna talk for a half hour and then you guys are gonna go do your thing for the rest of the week. My children would die, right? It would be a disaster, right? My family would not function and operate in the correct way. Uh, and sometimes what happens is when we look at the church, the church operates with an institutional mindset. Are you with me? It operates in, in this space where we're, we lean much more towards being an institution than a family, and, and the beauty of what we find in these passages is we see the church in Antioch not operating as an institutional church with people to be managed and services to provide and programs to give, but we see them operating as a family that is stepping into the places where God has spoken to them and are going to the places where God has called them and are listening to God together to discern how do we become the people who follow God together. It's really beautiful. It's really simple, but it's really beautiful. And it's what churches throughout history have wrestled with throughout history over and over again. Every single week, every single Sunday, people gather in a church and pray about, all right, where is God leading us? What's he calling us to? What's he inviting us into? How do we step into the things that God's called us to? How do we become fully alive? How do we listen to the spirit? How do we discern where to go and when to stay, when to uh, operate in this gift and when to lead this way and when, when to do these things? And there's a tricky part of discernment that's wrapped up in all of this. When I was uh, in seventh grade, I was 13 years old, 
my Sunday school teacher, many of you have heard me talk about him. He passed away about a year ago. Um, it, was, it was a man named Terry Pullman. Um, and my, my little group of friends uh, at my church growing up were known as um, mischievous. Is that a good word? We weren't bad. We were just mischievous. We were the kids that nobody wanted to be our Sunday school teacher, you, right? Uh, we, I don't know that we have any of those kids in our church yet, um, except for maybe mine. Uh, but we, 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 we were kind of that group. We weren't bad. We were just a little mischievous. And so, so as, we were, as we were leading, kind of nobody wanted to lead our class. And so I walked into this class as like a 13-year-old boy. And Terry, um, Terry, was, um, Terry was there. Terry wore like leisure suits. I mean, like straight up ruffles. Like, like this, was, this was like the 80s, uh, late 80s. Uh, and leisure suits were not what you wore in the 80s, right? Uh, it, but he was, he was like 20 years behind the times in everything that he wore. Um, Terry um, was sick, and the left side of his body was paralyzed, uh, and, and he looked like this kind of frail little guy who just sat there. And I'm, I'm not kidding. The first Sunday we walked into the class, we were like licking our chops, like we're going to destroy this guy. Uh, that's what we were thinking, right? We're going to get away with whatever we want, we're gonna, just going to have fun. This is going to be great. And Terry uh, had been doing this for a long time. And we weren't the first group of kids that were um, mischievous that he had served. And so Terry just started inviting us into relationship with him. He sent me a card every single week from the time that I was 13 until the time I graduated from high school. Not kidding. Every single week, handwritten card from Terry encouraging me. Um, handwritten gift or handwritten note every single week calling the gifts that God has given me out of me. Um, Terry, start, Terry found out very quickly that the key to my heart was the Cincinnati Reds. Um, so I love sports, guys. Uh, my team won yesterday in a big way. Come on. Uh, yeah, we got, we got a few. Uh, we, I, it's funny when Ohio State wins, because I'm from Ohio. So when Ohio State wins, everybody from the South tries to belittle it uh, and tell me that they're not good as Alabama, we're fine with that. We just need to be better than Michigan, guys. That's all we need to be better than. I don't need to be better than Alabama. I just need to beat them every year. We've beat them 14 of the last 15 years. Life is good right now, right? Uh, and so uh, I, I, he knew the key to my heart was sports, and so he, he had season tickets to the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, and the Reds, back in those days, weren't nearly as terrible as they are today. Um, but he, so he invited me to start going to games with him. I started going to games with him. And I ended up going to the playoffs with him. I ended up going to the World Series with him. Um, we took a trip in my high school years. We went to Cooperstown, New York, to the Baseball Hall of Fame. We went to Wrigley Field. We did all of these things together. And Terry became this mentor for me. Who, like, and, and can I just be honest? Terry was the worst teacher I've ever heard. Right? He was so bad. Like I, God love him. God rest his soul. He was so good at so many things, but teaching was not one of those things. And so I don't remember a single word that Terry taught me from the Bible. I don't. I don't remember a lesson. I don't remember it ever even being entertaining or ever getting anything or benefiting from his teaching in any way. But you know what I benefited from? I benefited from Terry being a, 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 a man in my life who called out the good things that God had in me. Every single one of us, our kids desperately need this, guys. We need somebody other than their mom and dad to call out the stuff of God within them. We, we, we talked last week about the evidence of the presence of God in our midst and the power of God interacting with him and whether we encounter him is, will be our children. I absolutely believe that. 
The evidence of whether we're encountering God now will be the life that our children live in the future. And what Terry did over and over for me was make these deposits into my life, was call out the stuff of God within me. And one of the reasons that I'm a minister today is because of Terry's investment in me, because Terry saw something that nobody else saw. Because when I looked at Terry, I saw something. And when he looked at me, he saw something completely different. He saw the things of God. I saw the things of the world. Terry was a powerful man of God. He taught Sunday school for 30 years at that church, and he taught seventh grade boys for 30 years. That's the holiest among us, right? If you teach junior high Sunday school for 30 years, middle school Sunday school, you are the, you, you are, a, we should call him Saint Terry, right? That's the holiest among us. Out of those 30 years, I'm not kidding, uh, when, when he retired, he got too sick to teach Sunday school anymore, and they asked me to come back on the day that he retired from teaching Sunday school and share a word. On that day, I'm not kidding when I say this, 25 pastors sat in the front row, all of them who had gone through Terry's ministry. The church operating as a family has incredible power. The church, whenever it operates as a family, has power. Whenever it operates as an institution, Power. And so that's a challenge for as we grow, right? The larger we get, the harder it is to operate as a family, right? The bigger the family is, the harder it is to manage and to love and to serve and to care for and to meet all the needs and, and, and be there for one another. And so we all have to be in there. So the first thing that we see in Acts chapter 13 is that the church was a sending place. It wasn't a gathering place where people gathered for an institutional message. It was a sending place that was sending generations into the missionary field. It was a missionary God sending a missionary people into their missionary endeavors. Um, one of my, uh, my happy place is Ohio Stadium, right? That's where the Buckeyes play. My sad place is the Atlanta airport. Anybody with me? Anybody travel a lot? I really think the closest thing to hell on earth is... What is it, Hartsfield? Uh, like, it is, whatever it's called, it's terrible, right? I, I, I never get a park outside of row like 90, right? Which means there's 90 rows of cars to get there. Um, usually when I travel, I have to take like a trade show booth with me. And so I've got like 18 bags that I'm carrying through 90 rows. By the time I get inside, it's like a third world country out there. Like there's people killing each other in the parking lot, right? It's it's the only airport I know of that doesn't actually have uh, like a shuttle that drives you to the airport. It's, cra- it's, oh, it's crazy. Uh, and then you get in there and I'm all sweaty, like I'm covered in sweat and trying to get through. It's, it's every time I go, it's a terrible, terrible experience. And so I would never say to my wife, honey, you know where I'm going today? I'm going to go hang out at the airport. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. I, there's, there's nothing. You couldn't pay me to hang out at the airport, right? I've been there so many times. I've been there when the power went out and everybody was stuck there for a day. I've traveled through the airport where they've said, we actually can't get you to, you to your destination, just rent a car. That was probably, that was, that's, that was, that was what, that, I won't mention the airlines, um, but that's what they told me, right? I, the, it's just a mess. But, but, but here's the thing, there's some good restaurants at the airport, right? I can tell you where all of them are. I can tell you exactly which terminal all of them are, where the place to go is, all of those things. They've got those little massage chairs. Have you guys ever experienced those? Right? There's been some days where I've been like, 
I'm, I'm about to lose it. I'm sweaty. I'm just going to sit in a massage chair and pay $3 and feel a little better about myself. You, you can buy all the Atlanta stuff that you want. If you want a mug that says Atlanta, you can buy it there. If you want to buy a Braves hat, you can buy it there. If you, like, there's lots of stuff that you can do at the airport, but nobody goes to the airport to hang out because that's not its job. Its job is not to gather people. Its job is to send people. It's also the job of the church. Our job is not to gather people in here and give us comfortable seats and good coffee and say, enjoy it. Our job is we gather so that we can be sent. We gather so that we can scatter. We gather so that we can listen to God together, discern where he's leading us and step into it in a posture that says, I'm not alone. I don't have to go into the mission of God by myself because I have a family here in the church that is sending me. So Acts chapter 13, verse one, it says, now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and there were teachers. Now what what he's referring to here is is what Paul uh, teaches the the church of Ephesus in Ephesians in chapter four. And he talks about the, the fivefold ministry of the spirit. And he says, some have been given to be apostles, Some have been given to be prophets. Some have been given to be evangelists. Some have been given to be shepherds and some have been given to be teachers. But all of us have these gifts. And the reason he says we have these gifts is we have these gifts for two reasons. One, they are for the church. The gifts are for the church. So we've been given these gifts so that the church becomes what it's supposed to be. We've been given these gifts because everybody has a role to play because everybody has one of those five gifts. And the second thing is not just for the church, but for the maturity of the church. It's so that the church would grow in its maturity. Now, an immature church has part of these gifts, but not all of them. A mature church has all of these gifts operating, right? So so, uh, what it says here is in this church in Antioch, there was a gift that was more prevalent than other gifts. And that gift was the prophetic, and it was teachers. We'll come back to that. It says, Barnabas... Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manuan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Just a bunch of big words, right? And a bunch of weird names. But this matters because these names are the people of the church. These names are the people who made the movement of God possible in the early church. These names are significant and they're in here because they are the people who gathered together as a family to discern where God was going and stepped into the places where God was calling them so that the church went to the Gentiles. And by the way, all of us are Gentiles so that we can worship today. It's a big deal. It's more significant than that response was from you guys. All right? So here's the thing. Um, It's a sending place. And here's the second thing. Everyone was involved in mission and discipleship. It says there were prophets and there were teachers. Prophets help us hear from God. Prophets are always in tune with what's God's will. Prophets are the ones who are giving us words and pictures and visions and stories and and are, and are saying to us, we've got to discern where God is leading. We've got to keep coming back to what God is doing. They insist that the community obeys God, listens to God, discerns where God is leading, um, and, and they become the activists and the activators of the church. I, I would suggest that my friend Terry had a prophetic gift where he was able to see something in young men that other people didn't see, and he called it out of them. 
So there were prophets, but also says there were teachers. Teachers are always the ones who help us explain and understand. Teachers are the ones that make things plain to us. Teachers are always the ones who are seeking clarity, who are trying to make things more clear, more understandable, more succinct. Um, They want everything to be understood and everyone to understand. Um, And they're always stepping into how do we understand where God is leading. So there's these two work hand in hand, right? The prophets are saying, God's doing something big. Here's what God's up to. Here's what God's doing. And the teachers are coming along beside them saying, all right, here's how we make that plain. Here's how we communicate that. Here's the road. So oftentimes what happens is prophets and apostles build the roads. They're the pioneers of the church, right? And the teachers and the shepherds are the ones who say, all right, let's make sure that we've settled. So there's pioneers and there's settlers. And so in this church in Antioch, there were prophets and there were teachers. Um, Sometimes we skip over these names as if they're not real people or as if they don't matter. But I want to go over these names. Barnabas is the first name that mentioned. He's the central figure of this church. Uh, It's his home church. Um, He is the bringer of gifts. He's the one who calls forth gifts out of others. He has this special ability to call out and to call forth gifts. I would suggest that Paul would never be who he was if Barnabas had not been beside him. Barnabas was the one who called out of Paul all the stuff that was inside of him. He named what was already there and what was unseen, and then he named what was dormant and what needed to come to life. Uh, Simeon is only mentioned one time in the whole Bible right here. It's the only time we we hear of Simeon, Um, and, and, and he's... He's only mentioned that one time, and his gift was so prevalent that he needed to be mentioned. Lucius of Cyrene was mentioned three times in Scripture. Um, He's the founder of the church in Antioch. He's an elder. Um, Menuhin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, is what it says. Um, the, the, The rumor is that he is a foster brother of Herod. This is the Herod who killed John the Baptist. This is the Herod who is involved in Jesus's trial. Um, This is the Herod who's connected to all of these different things, Herod Antipas. Um, And he's either a foster brother or a lifelong friend of him. Um, Herod's steward, Joanna, also came to know Jesus in Luke 8. So it seems like something was happening in Herod's home um, and and with with his family where there were people that were turning to Jesus in the midst of all of these things. Um, He was a very influential man, he was a wealthy man, um, and he had influence and he had power. These are the people that we see. And then the last one is Saul. Um, He wrote nearly all of the New Testament. He's the greatest missionary and theologian ever to live other than Jesus, right? That's who we see. And so all of these people are part of who makes up this church and makes up this family. I want you to understand these are real people, just like us, that have real gifts and real abilities. I would pray that one day there's a story written of our church that has our names on it. It says, and they gather together, and here's what happened. And, and, and maybe 100 years from now, there'll be people standing in this place. This is, this is what's so beautiful about the church. Like We're starting a church, guys. How cool is that? It, it, no, like, here's my hope for Grace Marietta. Listen to this. 200 years from now, Grace Marietta is still happening. I actually pray for that. And, and when they tell the story of, of, of how this church happened and what went on, there was just a group of people, right? 
There was just this group of people. There was Steve and Becky. There was Curtis. There was Blake and Blaze. There was the Aaron section over here, right? There, there was this group of people who gathered together and sacrificed and built something and God did something. And year after year after year, Gifts were given. Year after year, the community was blessed. Year after year, missionaries were sent. Year after year, children were raised up to know the Lord. Year after year, people were baptized. Year after year, lives were transformed. Year after year, people were set free from sin and brokenness and addiction. Year after year, Jesus, we encountered him. His presence worked and moved. And year after year, something amazing happened. Imagine if we had a 200-year history of that. Imagine the stories that will be told. Imagine what's going to be said of us in the future. And so I love this. Verse 2, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. So what was happening is they're gathering together. They're worshiping. They're, they're, They're stepping into spiritual disciplines. They're praying for an encounter. They're praying for the presence of the living God. And while they're doing this together, this isn't like one of them having a devotional at home. This is all of them gathering together. And as they're gathering together, the Spirit shows up and says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work in which I've called them. So the Spirit shows up. They get a word, right? The prophets bring them a word that says, We need to send Barnabas and Saul. They've been called to the Gentiles. They have this passion for the Gentiles. We need to send them out so that they can go do this, and we need to do this together. This is not something that we can do alone. This is not an individualistic thing. This is not Paul's vision for his life. This is now our vision for Paul's life. Does that make sense? This is not Barnabas's mission. This is our mission. This is what a family does. We take responsibility for one another. So when one of us is called, all of us is called. When one of us is sent, all of us is sent. When one of us is gifted, all of us are gifted. When one of us is experiencing the presence and the power and encountering the living God, all of us encounter the presence and power of the living God because we're a family and we do it together. There's something incredibly beautiful about that. And so what's happening here is they're discerning together. They get together, they listen, and they hear from the Lord when they're they're together. When our kids were, were little, um, I would wake up in the middle of the night like with these panics. Some of you with little kids might have this. And I would just say to my wife, did you hear that? Are you with me, did, parents of young kids? Like just this moment, like are they crying? Did they get out of their crib? Did they, are they eating something that they shouldn't eat? Is the house on fire, right? Has something happened here? And there was all these moments where I would wake up and I'd just look at my wife and I'd say, did you hear that? And, and every time she would say, I don't know. And we'd just be quiet and listen for a second. And, and, and if we heard something again, we'd get up and deal with it. And if we didn't, we'd roll over and go back to sleep. Right? But there was this process of listening together to see what's happening. That's what we do when we gather in this space. We listen to the Holy Spirit to see what he's doing. We listen to see where God is at work. And as we worship as we pray, as we fast, as we step into the things that God has called us to, what happens is he begins to speak. And when he speaks, we need prophets to tell us what he's saying, and we need teachers to help us interpret it. And so here's what's happening in the church. They are discerning together what God is doing. Uh, We train pastors in this at Gravity Leadership. We we, we train pastors in this process. We call it co-discernment. Um, the church, when it becomes an institutional, 
becomes hierarchical. Does that make sense? And so it becomes a place where there is one pastor who leads a group of a staff team, and that staff team leads volunteer teams, and there's these kind of org charts that make everything hierarchical. And the higher you are up to the top, the more you hear from God. That's what the institutional church does. The church as a family says, no, 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 no. Everybody hears from God. All of us. And there's not one that hears more than others. And so what we learn to do is we pay attention to how God is speaking to others. What we do is there are times, guys, when I step into this space, even as a preacher, where I feel like God hasn't quite given me a word and I'm not sure exactly what I'm supposed to say. And you know what I do every time I feel dry or every time I step into this place and I don't know that I have a word or I haven't discerned exactly where God is leading? Every time I do that, I ask, my, I ask people in this, in the, that are seated in the seats, what's God saying to you this week? How's God leading? Do you have a word for me? Is there something that I'm supposed to communicate for the church? The worship team, every single week we gather in the balcony, we sit up there and we wait and we listen and we pray and we just spend five to 10 minutes of silence just listening to the Lord. And then we say, all right, does God have a word for all of us? And it's amazing how God works in that space and how over and over and over again, God gives a word there that we're able to use in our service, in worship and in prayer, but we're seeking God together. We're setting apart, right? We're setting apart ourselves so that God can tell us to set apart others. We're making space for this to happen. Here's why co-discernment is important. We've got to understand that in America, we have been infected with individualism. It's a disease that lives inside of every single one of us. When we read the Bible, we don't read the Bible as a corporate document. We read it as an individual document. So every passage that we read, 95% of scripture is written to a group of people. But how do we read it? We read it as if it's just for me. Does that make sense? Because individualism has infected all of us. And so what we do is we, we co-discern. And the reason that we co-discern is because I don't trust myself all the time. Does that make sense? I have a healthy mistrust of my motives. I have a healthy mistrust of my, my discernment. I have a healthy mistrust to know that there are times when I get it wrong. And, and, and I'm not just speaking about me. I hope that you have that same healthy mistrust of yourself. Right, That there are times, like I, I, would, I would bet that if we paraded everybody up to the microphone right here and said, tell me about a time when you thought you were right and you were wrong, everybody would have a story. And if you don't, you need to really pray, right? right? We, we would all have a moment where we, our discernment was off, where I thought that this was what we were supposed to do, but as we got into it, I realized that's not what we're supposed to do. Mothers and fathers, this is what we do with our families all the time right? You're discerning how your family should live. You're discerning what your family should do. There's not a week that goes by where I don't have to make discerning answers and questions with my family, where Sarah and I don't have to pray and talk and discern and try and be wise about what my kids do and what my kids don't do, what we spend money on and what we don't spend money on, where we go and where we don't go, how we keep our schedule so that we stay sane. Like all of these things are things that we have to talk about over and over and over again because that's what families do. And so we don't say there's one person who's got it all figured out. We understand that we discern together and we have a healthy mistrust of these things. Secondly, we believe that God communicates to the whole body. 
He doesn't just communicate to one of us, he communicates to all of us. And third, we would never make an important decision in our life without discerning together with other people. So right before we came to Grace Marietta, there was another church that had called Sarah and I. And we were excited about it. It was in Cincinnati, which we're from Ohio, and we like Ohio, and we didn't really plan to move from Ohio. Now that we're in Atlanta, we like the weather a lot better. Uh, but, but we didn't want to leave. We wanted to be close to family, and there was this church that said, we want you to come and be our pastor. It seemed like a perfect thing. It seemed like a great thing. And, and our discernment in it was like, this is a good idea. This is a good idea. But we didn't trust ourselves. And so we invited some friends into this. We invited my business partners at Gravity Leadership. We invited our family. We invited some people that we believe hear from the Lord. And we just said, will you pray with us? And will you help us discern whether this is the right thing for us to do? Because we're not sure that this is the right thing for us to do, but we don't want to make this decision on our own. And every one of the people came back and said, don't do it. Don't do it. We don't, we Our discernment says this isn't the right move for you. Our discernment says this isn't the right place for you. Our discernment says that's not a healthy environment for you to be in. It won't be good for your family. Um, And our discernment says there's something better that's out there. And so we said no. And I thank Jesus every single day that we did, because if we didn't, we wouldn't be here. And when they called me to grace, I asked the same group of people and said, will you pray? Will you pray? And, and, and if, if this is the right place, are we supposed to move to Georgia? It seems way down south, and I don't understand the south. And right? uh, would, would you help us discern if this is the right place? And, and, and everybody said, yes. We believe this is where God's leading you. We believe where this is where God's calling you. This is not something that we do in our culture, though. We make decisions alone. We make decisions in a vacuum. We make decisions in a bubble. And I would say that's the greatest sign of the fall in our community. We've lost the fact that it takes a village to raise a child. We've lost the fact that there is wisdom all over the place, all around us that we can lean on. Young people, we've lost the ability to to, to grab some older people in our life and say, I'm young and I don't know everything. I don't have it all figured out. I don't know what the next step's gonna be, but I don't wanna make mistakes and you look like Jesus to me and so can you help me discern What's going on here? This is what's happening. They're discerning together. And anytime we invite people into co-discernment, it's a sign of trust and it's an invitation. Like anytime somebody comes to me and says, will you help me process this thing that I think God is saying to me? Will you help me discern whether we're called to the mission field? Will you help me discern where God is leading in my life? Will you help me discern what's next Anytime somebody does that, I consider it the greatest honor that I have as a pastor because it's a sign that people actually trust and it's an invitation into the sacred, right? What we do in our culture is we invite people into what's above the surface of our life. We invite people into the easy stuff, the simple stuff, the stuff that's pretty and clean and nice and the stuff that we can talk about while we're having dinner, but we don't ever invite anybody beneath the surface into what's real. We don't ever invite people to discern what's really going on or invite people to discern what's really happening. And so there's this getting real. There's this getting beneath the surface. They're saying we can't help each other if we don't invite each other in. That's why house churches are so important to us, guys. House churches are one of the main places where co-discernment happens in our community. 
It's where it happens because there are families that are doing life together, that are walking with each other, that are praying with one another, that are able to say week to week, hey, this is what's really going on in my life. This is what's really happening in my life. This is where we really need prayer. And so we discern together. It's so important. And I would suggest it's a sacred practice that's been lost. But I would love to invite us back into that, into this process of co-discerning. And when we make big decisions, I would love for us to make big decisions together. Not because anybody wants to control or coerce what's happening, but because we want the best for one another. Because we want each other to be fully alive and fully activated. The reason people said no to a church in Cincinnati for Sarah and I was because they loved us. It wasn't because they wanted to control us. Does that make sense? Love never controls. Love lays itself down. Love sacrifices. Love puts itself down. Verse four, the two of them... Paul and Barnabas, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, and John was there as their helper. Um, I love this because it says the two of them sent on their way by the Spirit. So they were sent by the church and by the Spirit. Now, I've seen people that have been sent by the Spirit without the church. And I've seen people who have been sent by the church without the Spirit. And I would just suggest that the two of them is a lot better. Because when you're sent by the Spirit without the church, you don't have a family backing you. You don't have a community on your side pulling for you. You don't have a group of people resourcing you and giving you what they have and laying themselves down for you. And when you're sent by the Spirit or or by the church without the Spirit, you don't have the power and the presence of God to deal with what you're going into and what you're stepping into. And so I would suggest that if we're gonna go, let's be sent by the church and let's be sent by the Spirit. If the Lord's calling you to a mission, whether that's locally or whether that's overseas or wherever that is, I, I, I want us to send you. I want this church to become a sending place. I want us to celebrate the fact that our young people are leaving. Are you with me? Douglas kind of grunted, but nobody else did. I want us to celebrate that our young people are leaving because they're going and they're taking what what they've imparted here, what they've experienced here, and they're taking it out into the world. And so we celebrate that. I want us to send our kids out. I want us to send our young people out. I want, I want most of you to understand, young people in the room, I know that you think that you are here for the rest of your life. You're probably not. I wish you were, because I love all of you. But at some point, God's gonna send you away from here. There's seasons in our life. There's seasons for all of us. And when you go, I wanna celebrate that with you. I, I, I want people to leave our church not because they're irritated because something didn't go their way, but because they're celebrated because of what God is doing in their life. Because God is stirring something, and we said, yes, go do that. That's better than Grace Marietta for you. You're gonna experience the power and the presence of God in a better way. You're gonna be our representative. Whenever I go and travel, whenever I go and teach, I always start the session by saying this, I am here because I've been sent by my family. I am here. So every time I go travel anywhere and teach at any different place, I represent the Hardman family. I represent Grace Marietta. I represent Gravity Leadership. I represent all of these different families who have sent me to this place, which means I've got people praying for me. It means I've got people who are backing me. It means I've got people who I can text to say, oh, that session went really bad. 
right? It means all of those things so that we can lean in to what we're doing. But if I just go on my own, I don't have that community to back me. And I think the way that we leave churches is sometimes so dysfunctional. We just disappear. We're just, I'm out and I'm done. Instead of leaning on one another, Instead of saying, this is, I, I feel like God's calling me to this. I feel like there's something happening here. I feel like God's inviting me into something. Oftentimes what we do is we run from something instead of run to something. And I think the Father in Codiscernment is inviting us to run to something. And then on the last, the last line of this I love, it just says John was with them as their helper. And the last thing I want to say is that everyone embraced their roles at Antioch Church. John Mark is known as a helper. Everywhere he goes, he's known as a helper. Later on in scripture, he and Paul have this argument and this fight, and Paul sends him away. Um, Paul's really feisty, and Paul's like a warrior and a battler, and I think John Mark backed off of something that God was calling him to that was risky, and so Paul said, no, 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 you're out. But then at the end of his life, when Paul writes his final letter from prison, he says this. He says, send John Mark. He is helpful to me. He's at the end of his life. He says, I want a blanket. I want some parchment so I can write. All right, it's cold in here. Give me a jacket. Give me a blanket. And send John Mark because he's a helper. John Mark spent his entire life helping Paul become the man that Paul had been called to be. Sometimes what we believe is that helping is beneath us and that helping is not an important job. And I want you to know that helping empowers everything. There are little jobs that are done in this church every single week that nobody knows about that makes it possible for us to gather like this. They're not celebrated. Nobody's excited about them. Nobody really enjoys doing them either. But they happen every single week. And they don't happen by me. They happen by other people who make this happen. So we always embrace this idea of family. Um, so this morning as I was praying, you could, bands can come on up and we're going to step into a time of communion. And, and I, I recognize, guys, this is just a really simple word. There's nothing incredibly profound about it. It's just the story of a group of people who decided we're going to operate as a family. We're going to follow where God leads. And this is the first of Paul's missionary journeys. So the very first of his missionary journeys took other people to empower him. You hear me? I want you to be clear about this. This is really important. Paul, who was the greatest missionary of all time, the greatest theologian of all time, needed a group of people to say, Paul, it's time for you to go. In the same way that there are those of us among us who need to call out the gifts in others. I want to invite some of you to become Terry Pullmans. I want to invite you to start calling out the gifts that you see in one another. I want it to be like, like part of our culture here at Grace Marietta. I want it to be that we call out the good stuff in one another, that we see the God things inside of us, that we don't see the little mischievous junior high kid. We see the future pastor, that we don't see the misfit and the brokenness and the sin and the hurt, but we see a kingdom perspective. We have eyes to see something bigger. And so I want us just to pray that we as a family would have eyes to see something bigger in one another. I want to pray that this is a place where we gather together week after week and we call out the good stuff in one another. I want to challenge those of you who have been here since day one, who are kind of the core, who have built this church, to expand your relational circle. 
We got a bunch of new people in this room who need the good stuff of them called out. And the way that they get the good stuff of them called out is they're in relationship with you. And so we expand our relational circles. We invite more people to our tables. We invite them into the words that God is speaking to us. We pray in moments like this as we come and we take the bread and the juice and remember the cross and the blood of Jesus. We pray in moments like this, Lord, is there a word that you want me to give to somebody else in the room? Is there somebody in this room that you're sending and I need to remind them that they're sent? Is there somebody in this room who's lost their identity and I need to remind them who they are in Christ? Is there somebody in this room who's hurting and needs to be loved? Is there somebody in this room that needs to be encouraged, that needs to be urged on? Is there a brother or sister in Christ that needs a house and I can provide a house for them? Is there somebody in this place that you are calling me to be the church to? Because the church in Antioch did not depend on Paul to do the ministry for them. They told Paul, we're doing the ministry and you're a part of it and we're, it's our ministry, right? It's our church, it's our ministry, it's our family. And so all of us are a part of this. So I wanna invite you guys to pray. I wanna invite you to stand up with me. And, and I wanna pray, and as I pray, I just wanna invite the Lord to speak as we worship and as we pray now. And I wanna encourage you, if there's something that you're battling right now, if there's decisions that you're making, don't make those alone. Grab some people around you and let's co-discern. If there's things deep in your heart that you're praying about and you're not sharing it with your community, share it with the people that you love and invite them in. And I wanna invite you to just love one another by calling out the best in one another. So as we pray, I want you to look around the room And I want you to listen, right? Just like we listen to the little babies crying, I want you to listen to the still small voice of the Father and say, Lord, is there anybody in here that you want me to pray for? Is there anybody in here that you want me to encourage? Is there anybody in here that needs a reminder? And when you find that person, even if it's somebody you don't know, don't be weird, right? But go and pray for them and be obedient. So Father God, I pray that we would be a church like Antioch, that we would stand with one another, that we would be united in love for one another, that we would seek you with all of our hearts, that we would worship you, that we would pray to you, that we would fast, that we would long for an encounter with you, and that we would urge each other on and call out the best in one another. Lord, I pray that out of our young people comes a generation of Christian leaders who are gonna change the world forever. I pray that the proof of your presence among us will be the lives that our children live in the future. And I pray for a special anointing. I pray for a special impartation. I pray that you would move and work in such a way in this place that one day there's a whole room full of pastors and missionaries who have been sent by this place because of the work that you did. And I pray that you would teach every single one of us to play a role in that. I pray that you would call out the good in us. I pray that you would teach us to to remind each other of who we are in you. And I pray that your presence would move and work once again. So speak now, Lord. Your servants are listening. In your name we pray.